What's going on, Military Cashflow family? Thank you so much for listening and continuing to rock with us. Today, it's just me. Uh, Mike has a previous engagement, so it's just going to be me on the airwaves with our guest, Jeremy B. Land. It's going to be an awesome story. But before I go into talking about uh, this episode, let me tell you a little bit about what's going on with me. So my wife and I, we've officially got our RFO. We officially got our orders to Fort Bragg. So if you're listening to this and you're in that uh, the Bragg area, make sure to reach out to us because we will be there this summer uh, and we'll probably be there if I had to guess for the next five years or so. So I'm super excited about that. I'm going to be going to grad school, um, studying uh, wealth management. And I'm really, 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 really excited about that. So um, I'll be up there looking forward to making, uh, connecting with uh, my old friends and also connecting with some new friends. So again, if you're, if you're in that area and you're going to be in that area around those time frame, make sure to uh, just shoot me a message on IG or some other some other or LinkedIn or whatever, man, just shoot me a message and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to link up. I'm really excited about it. So um, other than that, let's, let me tell you about this episode. So this is an awesome episode. Um, we're with Jeremy Beland. He is up in New Hampshire, uh, but he's working out of New York and a few, a few markets in New York, in Western New York, Rochester, Buffalo area, right? Um, he's primarily a wholesaler, but what's awesome about his story is his, um, the journey to his success where he's at right now, right? Um, so you're definitely going to want to stay tuned because, I mean, he, he talks about he didn't even graduate high school and then he just kept persevering. He went through the 2007 or 2008, you know, great recession, you know, lost a lot of things and he just kept like the Phoenix, man, he just kept coming back and, you know, rising from the ashes. And like, you know, now he's is where he wants to be, right? He's, he's met his dream. He's a full-time investor and it's just awesome to hear, right? So um, stay tuned for this episode or listen in, listen in well for this episode. Um, he's going to be spitting a lot of, uh, a lot of knowledge and a lot of things uh, that you guys can learn from, especially about the perseverance piece. So uh, with that, um, let's get into the episode. Hey, how's it going? This is Dan Wynn and Mike Glassby, and this is the Military Cash Flow Podcast, where we teach service members how to build wealth and create passive cash flow through real estate. We cover real deals, real numbers, and real lessons learned from other successful investors. Now, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening on the podcast, we need you to like, share, and subscribe. Now, let's get started creating this military cash flow. What's going on, Military Cash Flow family? Today, we got a great guest, Jeremy B. Land. Hey, thanks so much for coming on. Um, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, and what you're doing in the real estate space? Yeah, man. Hey, thank you for having me on your um, podcast. It's an honor. I greatly appreciate it. So thank you very much. I'm Jeremy B. Land. I am out of New Hampshire. You guys may be able to tell by my thick Boston accent. I'm not too far away from Beantown. Um I am 45 years old. I am married um, with a blended family to my beautiful wife, Michelle, who's a partner in my business. We have five kids between the two of us. And we run uh, two real estate investing companies, one out of New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and one in Western New York. Um, started out as wholesalers. That's all we pretty much do up in Western New York, other than buy some uh, rental properties. And hey, in New Hampshire, where we originally started, we flip, we wholesale, we wholesale, we buy and hold, we do it all. Nice, nice. So I used to live in Western New York. I was up there at, uh, in Watertown, Fort Drum for a little while. I'm curious, what part of Western New York are you talking about? Like Syracuse, Rochester? 
Yeah, Rochester, Buffalo are our two markets up there. Okay, nice, 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 man. That's some uh, really good cash flow markets up there, if I remember correctly. Very good cash flow. You know, it's not a very um, landlord-friendly state, especially everything, after everything's happened the last couple of years. We've been uh, patiently awaiting, but things have uh, opened up a little bit more to give more protection to landlords there. Uh, so we're actually taking down a four-unit, two-unit uh within the next 30 days, whenever we can get the attorneys to close it, which is a whole nother issue in that state. Uh, but yeah, you know, we've been there two years and we are like rocking and rolling up there. We plan on buying and holding a lot of properties. The, the cash flow is very different than what we see here in the, you know, New England area, especially closer to Boston. So uh, we're really excited and we plan on opening up in Syracuse and Albany in coming years too. So Awesome, man, make it worldwide or New York wide, man, taking over. Yeah, awesome. yeah, upstate New York worldwide. Yeah, definitely want to get into that uh, a little bit more, especially uh, that side. But first, let's start at the beginning. Where do, where was your, uh, I guess your your money journey began? Like, how, how was your upbringing? You know, because I really like to emphasize that so we can kind of. Because uh, there's a bunch of people from all different walks of life that's listening to this, right? And, you know, a lot of people can see themselves in you where you started and see some similarities there. So, uh, would you mind telling us kind of like, where your where your journey began like how was your especially around like money and how'd you get involved into real estate yeah i'd be happy to you know um i'm hoping my story will help um motivate some people to get into real estate um it's been a passion of mine for the better part of you know closer you know almost 15 years now but i've really only actually been in it for the last five and um you know and i i come from very very modest humble background so you know my story is, you know, I was born with with a single mom who, who had me out of wedlock. Our family was very religious, you know, and shunned her from the family. So my mom was basically homeless when she had me. She bounced around from house to house. You know, we grew up on welfare, um, which was, you know, government assistant uh, payments for my mom at the time until I was about six years old when she found time to be married. Uh, then we kind of lived, you know, um, you know, lower middle class, kind of bounced around New Hampshire there with her new husband and. You know, she had, they gave birth to my half brother and sister at that time. Uh, and then he, you know, he had an entrepreneurial bug left, you know, te the technology job that he had at the time started his own window cleaning business and everything failed. So about the age of 13, uh, that's when I experienced my first time with bankruptcy foreclosure. We had our cars repossessed and everything. Prior to this, I was a very troubled kid. I was getting high before school in the seventh grade. You know, I uh, had, you know, emotional issues and trouble. I was arrested a couple of times. You know, bad, bad kid. You know, I didn't do any bad things to bad people, but I was just a lost soul. And, um, you know, I just had a lot of, I was a troubled youth trying to find my way. Uh, and really didn't find it until later in life. So, um, you know, that was my real experience with, you know, starting over. My family we lost everything. We had to move. And then we bounced around from place to place you know, crappy rental house, a crappy rental house. So I know what it's like to be a tenant for sure. And, um, you know, and we did that until I was about, you know, I moved out of the house uh, about 18, 19. I didn't graduate high school, went to three different high schools, didn't graduate, uh, ended up getting my GED, did some college classes. And man, I was struggling. You know, I, and I was like 23 years old. I still didn't even have credit. I was driving a $400 piece of junk car. Life was terrible. And then I got my big break from a friend who got me into a sales job. I had no sales experience. He's like, I played, I was playing semi-pro football at the time. He's like, Hey, why don't you come uh, work with us? I think you'd be good at it. And I was doing high rise window cleaning in Boston at that time. So I was hanging off the, the buildings in the middle of the, you know, the, the, the day. And it was just terrible. It was cold. It was wet. It was dirty. 
was uh, low paying and it was dangerous. I didn't like it, but it was all I ever knew. I just, all I knew was how to wash windows and other labor type jobs. So uh, he got me a, a, a job there. I got my first sales job and I uh, was working for uh, Toshiba, selling copies and printers and things of that nature. A year later, I met my, my first wife, um, you know, and all of a sudden my wife was on fast forward. It went from basically making like, you know, dirt change. And within a couple of years, I was actually making six figures, which was like a whole nother world to me. It was like, wow, home, so much money, you know? And, um, you know, we got married really fast. We had two kids really fast. We bought a house really fast. Next thing you know, I was playing suburbia. And life was great. Had, you know, changed another into another sales job. And I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And wow, what, the oh book. my God, you know, <laughs> the book. The book that changes everybody, right? And uh, that it had the same experience on me. So back in that day, there were no podcasts. And, you know, there wasn't really social media quite yet. So back, this was probably 2007-ish. Uh, 2008, and I was just going down to the local library, and I was getting a lot of um, CDs and learning about, you know, real estate and entrepreneurship. And I, because I did a lot of sales, I was in my car a lot driving, so I just listened to these tapes or CDs all day, every day, and that's what I do to pass the time while I was driving. And it just created that entrepreneurial bug. I'm like, this is what I want to do. I want to get into real estate. I want to do this. But at the time, I had two young kids. You know, I had a mortgage here. My, my, you know, my way of life was here and, and my, you know, my income was here. And uh, so, and then the company I was working for, randomly enough, unfortunately, the owner of the company died and passed away and they, they were getting ready to sell the company. So I, I actually jumped ship before they signed a clean house, went for another company. And right at that time, the recession hit and boom, was I hit hard by the recession. I went from making six good six figures to really about $30,000 a year within about 18 months. And also my house, who we just put on a great big addition onto this house, had appraised and took out this equity loan on and everything else, dropped about $150,000 in equity within one year. And all of a sudden I was out of a job. They let me go. I, I couldn't find a job anywhere. You know, for some of you guys that remember that time, you know, nobody could find work anywhere. And there was a lot of people taking less money to get jobs. And with me, with no college background, man, trying to get for these sales jobs with people who had better pedigrees than me, I couldn't even get through the gatekeeper, couldn't even get through human resources. I would literally spend all day every day calling through a phone book because that's what we had back then. We didn't have Google. We had a phone book and I would make cold calls to try to get hired. And to make a long story short, you know, I just, I couldn't find myself a job and I was getting ready to lose my house. Back at that time, the mortgage companies were buying us and then they'd go out of business and another mortgage company would buy us one out of business. They couldn't do loan modifications then. They weren't doing any kind of refinancing. So it bought us some time, but at the end of the day, we had no chance of doing anything. And that's when I actually joined the military. So I joined the military, um, 33 years old, just before I turned 34, the um, cutoff for the age requirement at the time to join the Air Force. And um, I went into the Air Force because I wanted to get into uh, cybersecurity, which for some of you guys know, is just like internet security and technology. My goal was to go in there, get some training, come back out and find myself like a sales job selling network security to businesses. Um, and I couldn't afford to go to college and I wasn't going to be able to go to college. And it was like, I found this one job that would hire me up in upstate New Hampshire, which was like hours away that I could sell telecommunications for $30,000 a year, or I could go into the military and get a training for $30,000 a year. So I chose the military, went into the Air Force, and 
Save my health before closure. So, oh, sorry, Gad. So, so, so you, 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 you like laid it out, man. I love it. I, I absolutely love it. And I know there's, uh, we got some listeners out there that that went through that recession, right? I went through the recession. I was in school during that time, but I definitely felt the effects of that recession. Definitely saw some of my parent, what my parents went through that during that uh, recession, and then also, you know, my, my uh, some some of my older friends and family around me uh, go through that recession as well. But um, I love that you, you know, you continue to persevere. Right. Uh, but my question for you is like, what made you decide to join the military? I know you said you had a couple different options, right. And I guess both of them were essentially paying the same, same thing, but what was it about the military that like, was, was the reason why you chose it? And then also, uh, why the air force? Um, so military is something I've always wanted to do. Um, you know, I was a big, this is going to sound corny, but I was wicked into Rambo as a kid. Wicked. And, you know, so I really loved, yeah, wicked. Wicked into Rambo as but a kid. But you joined the Air Force, man. <laughs> I know. Totally the wrong way. Um, and I really loved it. But, you know, my stepfather, he actually joined the Army, and um, he just talked me out of it. And probably because he didn't have the greatest experience. And then, you know, I, when I was in my late teens, I was a troubled kid. And I should have joined the military. It probably would have straightened me out, but I just didn't. Um but, you know, I always wanted to. And it came to a point where I could go get this job selling phone services that may work out or get a job working in the military that had some upside. And it was really the Air Force Reserves at the time. And they were going to give me a $20,000 bonus, which we desperately needed. You know, they're going to send me away for six months of training. And then I'd come back right one week in a month, uh, potentially maybe work at, on the base and get some consistent pay. And at that time, I just I needed to have some kind of training to look further down the road because I couldn't afford to go to college. And I had two kids. I had to feed them. I had to pay yeah, the man. bills. So it was a long and, play for you. It wasn't just a like, you know, a short term thing. You started talking about the future and things. So how the military could definitely help set you up for for the future that you wanted. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a family member that was in Desert Storm that was in the Army and then ROTC into an offer position in the uh, Air Force. And I actually was looking at the Army and the Air Force. She said. Go to the Air Force. Trust me, the way of life will be a lot easier. And I'm very thankful she said that. Because I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and honestly, you know, I was in, where I was. I had two young kids and I was in my early 30s. It was really hard. For, it was a big change of life to go into basic training, getting yelled at um, TIs who were probably 10 to 15 years younger than me at that time. Um, but I was going through a depression going into there. Um, actually, I ended up short selling my house because I knew enough about real estate investing to find an investor to save me from going into foreclosure and bankruptcy. And going into the military was actually the greatest thing that could have ever happened to me, and specifically basic training, because it did reset me and I needed to be reset. I needed to be torn down and rebuilt. I had no confidence going in because of everything I did about losing my job, losing my house. I felt as a failure as a person. And the military made me build my confidence back up and build strength. And man, it's been an upward trajectory ever since. I'm very, very grateful and thankful for my opportunity um, in the military. It, it really, if it wasn't for that, I don't know if I would have been able to be where I am today. It was a huge, huge catalyst in my success. Yeah, man, I love that, man. Um, talk to talk to those out there that might be going through something similar, right? Like, I, I really appreciate that, you know, you were pretty much at the lowest of the lows, right? At that point. I mean, that's, you know, that's one of the worst uh, periods in a lot of people's life. It, living right now that was one of the worst periods in a lot of people's lives right um to to go through a foreclosure to have a family to provide for right but then you know make that decision to to join the military you're you're getting yelled at by some people that are younger than you that like that's 
you know, that's, that's a pride thing to, to some people. They were like, all right, that's, you know, you got to kind of swallow your pride and just continue moving forward to eat, to meet that end goal that you want. Right. Um, so can you talk to some of those out there that might be kind of going through the same thing? They're like, man, I'm in a low point, got a family to provide for. I'm not sure exactly, you know, what, you know, what I need to be doing. Like, what was your, what was your mindset like that? And what helped really, what was the one thing or two things that really helped push you over that hill to, to get you back on the right path? Like, Hey, I, I'm confident. I know the military was, but I assume that it was something within the military that kind of help push that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, you know, as, as a man and a father and a husband at that time, right. You know, we're in the society or at least growing up, I was always led to believe that, you know, you're, you got to provide for your family, right. That's what we're meant to do. And I was feeling like I wasn't doing that. So it really like, it just made me feel like I was failing as a person and I really shouldn't have labeled myself as that. I mean, we're going together as, uh, as a family doing it. And a lot of people did, but I just took it very personal, you know, cause I, I never achieved success in my life. You know, my family never did. I felt like I had it and I lost it all. And now, you know, I'm, I'm putting my kids through what I went through and it was just, it was devastating for me, but joining the military, I think what really helped me in the military was able that um, I was just, sent away and put away from all those distractions so I didn't you know I knew my family was taken care of and it was hard to be away from my kids at the time they were still really little um and I was you know basically a stay-at-home dad for like a year before I left you know trying to find a job um but you know I went there and it gave me a time to really just focus on myself and I needed to do that so I could build myself up to focus on others I couldn't focus on others because I wasn't in a place to focus on them because I was too you know, devastated by everything that was going on. I was too depressed. So, you know, I went there and I just, you know, focused on myself. I, I didn't really even call home because I didn't have the opportunity. And, and like most things that I do when I'm in, I'm all in. So I was just all in basic training. I, I said, I'm here. I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm going to be the best. You know, I, I was, I made on a graduate, you know, I wanted to pass all the physical exams the mental exams. You know, I wanted to make the most out of it. And that's what I did. And it's a little bit each day, I built confidence and built confidence. And yes, I had to swallow my pride getting yelled at by people much younger than me, but you know, I just, it is what it is. It, I let it go. You know, everything isn't as perfect as you wanted. And I understand they had a job to do and they were trying to get the best out of me. Um, at the end of the day, you know, it just, it, it helped me get stronger and more resilient with, that yelling and um, dealing with kids that were much younger, it taught me to be a better leader. Um, and which is something I've carried on into, you know, further on in my life, especially with my businesses now, realizing that, you know, young kids and me are at two different places. You know, some of those kids, I was there were 17 years difference between me and basic training. Um, but it just taught me a lot and it really helped me really focus on myself, which built the confidence. And that gave me the perseverance to keep going and keep pushing and everything else. And, um, you know, we're all going to get knocked down. Right. And that's just the way life goes. And I love the Rocky quote in the Rocky movie says, you know, life's going to punch you. And it's not how hard you get punched. It's if you can get up after getting punched hard. And, um, you know, so that's, that's what I'm all about. And anybody who wants to get into real estate, you are going to get punched hard. You are going to get knocked down and you have to keep getting up. One of the quotes we say in our real estate uh, business and our company is those who survive thrive you have to survive the downs and enjoy the ups because there's going to be plenty of them all right let's take a quick break i hope you're enjoying this awesome episode if this episode has got you pumped up and you're looking for more ways to learn network and take action make sure you go over to www.militarycashflow.com 
www.ghostbusters.com where we're doing our absolute best to provide our military community with tons of value. Here's just a few things you'll find when you go to militarycashflow.com. You'll find our books. You'll find the Military Cashflow Facebook group where we have thousands of new and experienced military investors networking and asking and answering questions. You'll find our Military Cashflow real estate investing course that teaches you everything you need to know to buy a cash flowing producing asset. We teach you how to find the deal, how to analyze, how to renovate, how to build your team and maintain that property. You'll find our one-on-one coaching programs. And when you're ready to start taking action and invest, or you're looking just to PCS, we'll even vet and find an investor and military friendly realtor in your area at zero cost to you. So make sure you head over to www.militarycashflow.com to get access to all these great tools. And lastly, and I would almost say most importantly, make sure you share this information with another military member that might find it valuable. And with that said, let's get back into this episode. I love it. I love it. I'm glad that you you kind of uh, shared that down story because I think that's what everyone needs to hear. A lot of times you get on these po- or people get on the podcast and they're saying everything's you know glitter and rainbows. You know, not really, it's not. not not really going through the struggle and explaining what that feels like and what you're going through in the moment because that is that is real life. That's really what we're going through, right? So um, yeah, absolutely love that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, now, as we transition into all right, you join the you join the military. You said the national uh, national guard, right? Yeah, and National Guard, yes, Force Reserves. Yep. I went to both. You got yep. that time to got that time to reset, self-reflect, went and joined the uh, Air National Guard, and now yep. you're back at it. Walk, walk us through it, uh, where, where you're at that. Yeah, point. so my struggles weren't over. So I came back from the military, and then uh, <laughs> my wife and I, who had marital marital issues before going in, they lingered when I came back, and I was able to come back. I was I, we moved. I moved back in for a little while. We tried to make it work, and it didn't. I found myself. Uh, another sales job with somebody that I worked with previous in the previous company, started his own business. He hired me and I got myself within um, a, probably a year and a half, two years of coming back out of basic training and tech school. Um, I was able to get myself about six figures a year again, making doing sales. So I was like, all right, working my way back. All right, here I go. I'm fighting, right? I'm getting there. But my marriage wasn't working. And, um, you know, so we, we decided together that we would get a divorce, which was obviously very hard. You know, we had again, two young kids, never want to put your children through it. You know, still to this day, you know, it hurts me that they had to go through it, but it was what we needed to do because we were just not meant to be. So I moved uh, out, bought myself a townhouse with what little savings I had in the next town over. And then I just became a single dad and I was working this six figure job. Um, and then as I'm starting to travel again, doing a lot more traveling this time, uh, more out of the New England region, which my first one was job was like, now I'm up and down the East Coast and going you know, different parts of the country. I started listening to podcasts and, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I really want to get into real estate. You know, this is great, but I'm not going to have a 401k. This isn't the future. You know, my boss is a jerk. You know, the, I, I'm not happy with my job. It's service related. You know, everybody yells at you about everything that's going wrong. They never appreciate what you do. And, you know, and you're just one, you know, mistake from just being out of work the next day. And then as I'm getting older, this is as I'm getting into my later 30s, I'm starting to see a lot of people that I know within like, you know, five to 10 years older than me, starting to lose their jobs as they're getting on later on in life. And they're like, you, you get to this point and then 
they like the company changes it. They don't want you anymore because you're making so much money and they can bring somebody in at a much lower level or, you know, and that person becomes replaceable after giving so much hard years of their life to a company. And that scared me. And that actually was the main reason why I motivated me to stop my real estate business to begin with, because I was afraid that I would get into my 40s and 50s. I'd work really hard. And just like that first company, the comp owner of the company died. Another company came in and they just cleaned house. And then you're used to a way of life or used to an income and you just can't get that anymore. And I already went through it. I don't want to go through it again. So, um, you know, I started saying, what am I going to do? I want to I want to, I know I want to own rental properties, but how do I get there? I don't really have any money. Do I, I want, do I want to flip houses and blah, blah, blah. And then I learned about wholesaling. I was like, oh, okay. And I started processing more about this wholesaling thing. I'm like, all right, well, if I can learn how to get properties at a wholesale, make some money that way, and I become really good at getting them off market direct to the seller, then I can do whatever I want with them. If I want to flip them and keep them and wholesale, it gives me all the options. I said, that's what I'm going to do. Really so I came quick. across... Really Sorry, quick, really no, really quick. What is wholesaling? And just for our audience, just in case anyone, I'm sure you guys probably know what wholesaling is if you're listening to this by now. But for the person that doesn't know what wholesaling is, you can just give us a quick overview of what that yeah. what that's like or what that yeah. means. So the non-tactical way is it's the art of finding discounted properties off market. That's that's the non-tactical way. But really, what it is is you know if you were to get a property at one two three Main Street under contract with a purchase and sales agreement, that purchase and sales agreement is assignable. And you can assign the rights to that purchase and sales agreement to another investor and or buyer, and you can have them pay you for the rights of that. So I have a contract to buy 123 Main Street at $100,000. I am going to sell it to Joe, home buyer, and he's going to pay me $10,000, and he's going to pay $110,000. I make the spread in between. That's wholesale. Excellent. Thank you for that uh, quick. Well, what now what time frame was this when you discovered that, like when you discovered wholesaling? So this was probably about 2015. Okay. And for about a year, I listened to this guy on his podcast. He doesn't do the podcast anymore. And he, he's a huge inspiration to me to this day. And I would listen to him. And I remember driving and being like, oh, man, I should do this. I should do this. And, you know, and it was like analysis paralysis, right? I just was afraid to make the move. And then when it was a year later, I'm like, screw it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make the move. And I literally sold my townhouse that I was living in. I downsized into a smaller two-bedroom apartment with my kids. I only had about $15,000 in equity. And I took that $15,000. I spent $5,000 to have this guy coach me the wholesaling process. $6,000 to start my wholesaling business, which was basically my, get my contract set up with an attorney, start my LLC, and my first batch of marketing money. And then I paid off some debt that I had on credit card, and I moved into a new apartment. And then I started my real estate business. And, um, you know, and I did started you, that January, 2017. Were you still, uh, at the job at that time or did you just straight burn the no, boats? Like I, all the boats? I did my job for three okay, years. Okay. Okay. So, so you did it. Side hustle. Time. Nice. Nice. Yeah. nice. This okay. was after I came out of the military. So I was probably out of the military, you know, I was 2010, 2016. So as I was just coming out is, you know, within months of my last time serving my last weekend is when I uh, signed up for the course. And uh, I, I did it, all the training modules that I had to do. And just for you guys who know, this was Tom Kroll, if you may, may recognize that name. Uh, he, he's a great guy. He doesn't do it anymore. But that man changed my life forever. And I'm incredibly grateful. Um, so I, I did his course and I started my business January 2017. The end of March 2017, 
uh, just about five years ago, about two weeks ago, I got my first wholesaling check. I made so many mistakes, fumbled and bumbled my way there, but I made 5,000 bucks on my first wholesaling check. Uh, I got $2,000 for my second one about another 30 days later. And it was all these gut check moments like, I'm going to run out of money. I'm going to run out of money. I'm not going to be able to make this happen. And then a check would come in. My whole first year was like that. I'd run out, almost run out of money, be like, you know, dust, dust bunnies in the bank account. <laughs> and a check would come in for a few thousand or 7,000. It would just keep it going. And that's when I was talking about like the ups and downs, right? There was so many gut check moments. There's so many people quit that first year. And it's believing it caused a lot of stress. And you're like, I'm making six figures with my daytime job. I'm like, do I really want to do this nights and weekends, you know, and struggling? But I did. And by the end of that last, uh, last month of that first year, my, my, my girlfriend at the time and my best friend, Michelle, uh, I said, Hey, I need you to quit your job. I'm getting some momentum. I can't handle this myself. I can't afford to quit my job yet, but I need some help with the admin stuff. And she, I convinced her to quit her job and she's been our first full-time employee since uh, January, uh, December, uh, 2017. She's been with us ever since. And then, you know, then we just started getting some momentum. So we did 10 deals our first year, did 22 our second year um flipped our first house in our second year and then our third year we did 36 uh flipped a few more houses we hired an acquisition guy and started to really take off from there and then um i quit my job at the end of the year at that year and um i've been full-time into this business ever since and when we started western new york two years ago and now both businesses are you know uh million dollar businesses and uh it's it's crazy to think that we're there and we're flipping houses and buying rentals because it was all my dream um it happens all so fast. It's it's mind blowing at times. Really surreal. Perseverance, man. That seems like that's the uh, the key word right there. I mean, you, like I, I love the you were running on fumes like <laughs> at the end of the month every single time, and another check comes in that just keeps you keeps you going just enough to get it rocking, man. But so, yeah. how did you convince your girlfriend to quit her job though? That's what I want to know. Like that's well, that's some serious. I asked to pay. Yeah. <laughs> so I was able to save enough money to pay. We hmm. basically said, all right, here's ninety days of your pay, and we just basically said, all right, come on, and then she did, and it was just like. You know, we just kept filling up that 90 days. So I wasn't really getting paid, but she was. Um, and, you know, I needed somebody to do the bookkeeping. I needed somebody to help with the admin stuff. We had a virtual assistant doing a lot of the stuff for us. But, you know, we we're really starting to grow. And and then it really what worked out was she started coming on acquisition meetings with me. And um, it, that was kind of a game changer because, you know, Michelle is really sweet and really nice. And, you know, when you're dealing with distressed people, which is what we do when we buy properties off market, we deal with distressed sellers and distressed people and distressed situations, their God is up. And they think everybody's out to get them because of whatever financial stuff they're going through. So it's really hard for them to open up and trust people. Especially, if you, got a, really, especially if you got a swole Boston dude up there like, hey, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want your house. <laughs> yeah. Hey, this is wicked awesome. Um, but yeah, no. So, you know, but really what people need to understand is when you're working direct to sell, you are really a problem solver for these people. So, mm. you know, you are coming in and you are a tailor customizing a tailored solution uh, for their problem in exchange for equity in their house. But it's hard for them sometimes to realize how to get out of this problem because you know they make a lot of these decisions to get themselves into this place i was one of them i was distressed at one point because i was facing foreclosure i was facing you know bankruptcy i know what it's like to have somebody come in and give me a reset button now i was able to put myself in this position where i could pay it forward many times over 
But with that being said, these people, they're God's up and they're really just tentative. They don't want to trust, but I need to get them to trust me so I can show them the benefits of working with me. And, I, you know, and we take a lot of pride in being very sincere, very transparent, very genuine. We truly want to help. We're not trying to persuade people to do things that are in their best interest. If we're not their best interest, we tell them we're not. And we put them in the direction that is. And we'll gladly push them in the right direction, even if it means we don't make any money. But Shelly came in and it just let people's guide down a little bit so I could really get a chance to talk to them. And we could, rather than us just like button heads because our God was up, you know, they would just be like, all right, Jeremy, tell me what's going on. We could talk and find out about deep dive their problems. And hey, here's some solutions that I have in my experience, how to help you. How would this work for you? And it just it was kind of a little bit of a game changer. And Shelly really enjoyed going on the property, uh, the appointments with us. And we became really close with a lot of the sellers that we worked with over the years. And uh, it was great. It was just, it was a really way for us to spend a lot of time together during the day working as well. It was really, really nice. That's great, man. I love that. I love that you were able to combine the family with uh, with the business and it still worked out very, very well. Because some people say, you know, that's not really a great fit, but it seems like you it was for us. Yeah, <laughs> I say it seems like it was, was a perfect fit for you guys. I mean, especially if she was to come in as an acquisition person, really be able to talk to people because um, that's really what it's about. Like uh, uh, Tim Crow or uh, Tom Crow rolls with uh, Brent Daniels and Brent Daniels, his whole thing is like talk to people at TTP yeah. thing. You, yeah. you know what I'm talking about? So, um, yeah, we know able, Brent pretty well. We're, yeah. We know him well. Yeah. So if she does that, then, you know, that's, that's, uh, that can be a game changer for sure. And I could see how that, how that worked. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, we just came in as a husband and wife or, you know, we weren't quite married at that time, but you know, we were living together and we had our kids and we were fiancés. And we could just sit down and we're just a normal people, right? And yeah. they weren't thinking like, oh my God, this big bad investor is here to try to steal all my money and steal my house. And, you know, and that's not what it's about. But some, some people just have this, you know, just this way of thinking that it's that way. And um, it's just, just not the case. But yeah, you know, it was a lot of fun. So she'd come on these appointments with me. And then we started flipping houses together and started designing houses together. And, you know, um, she's not so much hands-on in the business anymore, but, you know, um, we still work in the business every single day. We do things at the higher level, the visionary level. Um, nothing happens in this industry without her and I talking about what's the next best step. And um, it's great. We've been working together now for almost four years every day and we're best friends we we literally are attached to him we go work out together we run together we do our job together uh it's great it's fun awesome man it's awesome so i, I want to know how do you, how you uh transition from wholesaling to to also flipping houses and apart because it seems like you kind of dip and dabble in everything which i understand like wholesaling seems to be like the center of that wheel to help all the other things kind of happen right so yeah. can you kind of like go over that a little bit like how, how you how you made that transition how it works for you I would love to. And I'll tell you right now, it's the magic of private money, private lending. It was a game changer for our business. And just like the military and basic training sent me on this way of like just positive trajectory the rest of my life, so did private lending in our industry. So, you know, we were getting all these deals and, you know, we're selling them. And I'm like, man, I would love to buy this for family, but I need the $20,000, $15,000 to keep the business going. So I'm selling to these investors. I look back at all the deals I gave away. I'm like, God, I wouldn't even need to work anymore. Um, but we just didn't have the resource. We didn't, I mean, we're still literally living assignment check to assignment check in the business. Even if we're doing 20 deals, because people don't understand in wholesaling, it's a marketing business. We spent a ton of money in marketing. 
And, um, you know, so it's very, very cash flow dependent because those mailings and those marketing channels have to go out every single day, every single week. And the checks just don't always come in that way as much as you'd like them to. So, you know, um, we were just in that kind of a situation where like, you know, if we could just get private lending, we figured out. And then I was reading this book, The Private Money Guide by this author, uh, Chris Noggle out of uh, Western New York, Buffalo, New York. And this is how New York home buyers came to buy, which is our second location. Um, I was reading the book one night because I'm an avid reader. 100% read books about self-development in real estate every single day. And you should, if you don't, you need to. It's going to be something that you need to do to be successful in this industry. So I was reading the book and I was like, man, he, he's holding this one day training in Buffalo. We should do it. We can go there. We can learn some stuff. So my fiance at the time, her and I went out to Buffalo, New York to take this training. He did a tremendous job teaching us and giving us a lot of resources, how to attract private money, how to structure it, how to talk to people about it, how to get it and all those things, all the details about it. And I was like, man, if we get this, it's going to be great. Funny story is, and when we're out in Buffalo, New York, two wonderful things, actually three things happened that, in that weekend. One, we learned a lot about private lending, which changed our lives. Two, we went to Buffalo, New York, and we said, holy distressed properties. There are <laughs> everywhere. We could make a fortune wholesaling here. And we met who was a private lender in that training. Uh, our, our partner, uh, Western New York homebuyers now, his name is Matt Morneau, uh, a great friend of ours. And we actually ended up partnering with him to start our second location. He funded the business. We brought in our um, expertise and we built our New Hampshire, our New York um, secondary market there. Third thing is on that weekend, we went out to Niagara Falls and I proposed to Shelly. And so we got engaged at that time. So I guess we weren't really fiancés going in, but uh, I felt like because we were living together. Anyway, so we got engaged. We found out about private lending and we met our partner for our, our second location. But private lending changed everything. So when we came back, now we knew, all right, this is how we do it. And we had some people and people don't understand. There's a lot of people that we personally know. It could be friends, it could be aunts and uncles. Um, it could be coworkers. A lot of people have money that want to use this money to make more money. One, they may not know how. Two, they may not know the opportunity exists. And three, they may just be sitting on the money thinking, geez, I wish I could use it, but it's making 4% or 0.4% of my savings account. Anyway, we learned about how to talk to people about this stuff. And then we just got one person, gave us an opportunity, probably overpaid them in interest, but we had to earn their trust. We had one good deal. Led to a second opportunity, a third opportunity. Next thing you know, they refer a lender, another lender comes along. And next thing you know, you have all these lenders, which we do. We have more money than we could ever use now. And at that point in my time, I was like, oh, if we could just find one person. And that's how it happens is you just start talking to people, like Brent Daniel says, but you tell them what you do, show them opportunities. We did a lot of self-promotion about everything we were doing on our personal Facebook pages. So they saw all these houses that were closing. Uh, so it gave a lot of validity to what we were doing. And then, you know, we just started getting a few lenders and we started doing a few deals. And then it became a situation. It was like, let's flip this one. Let's not wholesale this one. Let's take this one down, clean it out, throw it on the market and wholesale it. Let's keep this as a rental. Let's burn this. We Now we have all those options. So now every deal that comes in through our acquisition team, you know, we sit down at a, a disposition level and say, what's the best exit strategy? Let's run it through the process. Whatever makes the most sense, we do. And that's kind of where we are today, with at least with the New Hampshire, Massachusetts location. I love that. I love that. Hey, can you can you um, 
Can you kind of give us a an example of wholesale, one wholesale deal you've done, maybe a wholesale, and then also like a flip and um, and then a buy and hold that you use with private money? The reason why I ask for those is just because there might be someone out there listening, and I would like to really help um, explain or, or people help people visualize all the different things that can come from the disposition side of wholesaling, if that makes sense. Sure. So with wholesaling, right, we it's easy for us to just you know, so for wholesaling, let's just say for our New Hampshire market, um, where we look, explore all aspects, right? Now, Western New York, all we do is wholesale only. And, you know, we're in wholesaling deals out there. And honestly, we are making about $30,000 an assignment on average out in Western New York on our deals. So we don't need to flip. We don't need to wholesale. You know, we closed eight properties last month. Things are going great. But here in New Hampshire, it's a little bit of a different market. So we have to explore all the different avenues. So, you know, we look at a deal and say, do we really want to take on that project for the next six to eight months? Um, is there enough money into it? Is it really a good location for us? You know what? Let's put it through our wholesale process and we'll assign it to the highest bidder, which is what we do. You know, we'll make 10,000, 15, $40,000, whatever it is. We just take the money and go. What's nice about that. We don't have to put any really work into it after that point. We just have an inspection where it's basically an open house where people come and look at it and they provide us their bids and we take the highest offer and go. Um, we don't have to bring any money to the table. We don't have to pay any interest. There's no overhead. There's no liability. But, you know, there's houses that come along. And one of my favorite exit strategies is the wholesale. So there's two different types of wholesale properties that we're, we do quite often with. And one is that house that we could wholesale. Sometimes we'll take that house. We'll literally take it down and we'll go and clean it out, get all the junk out of it. Because a lot of houses we buy come with a lot of junk and debris. And then we'll just throw it on the MLS. And the MLS has cash buying investors looking for opportunities. We're usually willing to pay a little bit more than your average uh, Joe cash buyer who's a little bit more uh, conservative with his numbers than maybe an MLS buyer. So you, you can tap into that market as well. But there's also this, this house, this type of property that falls into this gray area where there's really not enough meat on the bone for us to wholesale to another investor or to us to take it down and flip it or anything like that. It's basically moving ready, maybe dated, maybe dirty, maybe just needs a roof or maybe just needs some new flooring. Um, and, you know, maybe it's at a, again, at a number that just, there isn't really a lot of money to be made to s flip it and stuff, but those work great for your retail buyer. So what we do is we end up taking that property down with uh, private lending and we'll go in, we'll close in, close on it. And basically what a hotel for us is something that we can be in and out in two weeks. Whereas a flip could take anywhere from 90 days. You know, some of our bigger ones have taken close to, you know, to six months, unfortunately, to do some of those flips. So anything that we can get in and out in two weeks. So, you know, can we go in and replace the flooring? we we'll do some quick painting, um, have it professionally cleaned, you know, maybe pressure wash the outside of the house, make it look good and, and you know, Five ten thousand dollars on something like that goes a very long way, and we have the house on the market two weeks later. And now, rather than a cash buying investor going to buy it, now we have you know um, you know Regular young family. couple, yeah. yeah, the young family looking for a house who can't find anything in a low inventory market is getting outbid, and they say, you know what, I don't mind working a little sweat equity on the weekends to get this house that needs a little bit of love. Um, and you turn something that you know really into nothing into you know, big gains. Some of these wholesales, I mean, we've done six-figure wholesales 
uh, you know, our average wholesale is, you know, in the New Hampshire market is probably about $40,000. Um, you know, it's a little bit of a longer process because you're doing traditional financing, but these houses qualify for traditional financing, whereas wholesale house usually doesn't because it just needs so much work. It would never pass the qualifications for something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. And no. then, then with flipping, you know, we look at a house, if we feel like there's good money to be made and we could be out, you know, with our flipping, we try to be cl uh, close to close from the time we buy it to the time we sell it within four months. So if it fits that criteria, typically, you know, pretty quick, easy uh, rehabs. We've taken on some big ones as of late. They're not my favorite. If there's a lot of potential upside, I will do that. Um, and those are usually the criteria. So if we can be in and out, it's a really good change, good money to be made, and there are. But I'll tell you, flipping is not easy. And we've scaled it over the last couple of years, but it brings a lot of stress. And another thing about flipping where wholesaling and wholesaling is great, Contract it right. does not help with cash flow <laughs> because it takes a while for those checks to come in. Whereas wholesales and wholesales, those checks come regularly. So my money is still going out every single week and I'm waiting for these flips. So we had a situation last year where we had six flips that went way over budget, way over behind schedule, and we're running out of cash in the business. So even although I've had all the success in the business, it's still got check moments where I'm like, oh, there's going to be dust bunnies in the bank account again. I can't believe this. Uh, but we weathered the storm and it all turned out okay. But, we, you know, again, we, we, we feel forward. We learn as we go. Um, we still do a lot of um, flipping as still to this day. But uh, I like to hold tail because we can make a little bit less, but the cycle's a lot quicker. Um, and as far as buying holes, you know, they're few and far between these days up here in New Hampshire, Massachusetts, to find anything that um, cash flows. Um, I, think, I think that's taken, nationwide right now. <laughs> <laughs> maybe nationwide. So, you know, we're, we've taken down a handful of multi-foot families. Actually, we just bought a condo that we renovated and turned that into a rental. Um, and again, the cash flow is light, but, um, you know, I'm doing it for tax advantages. I don't take anything down on, uh, if it doesn't cash flow, I don't buy it just for like the equity purposes. I don't play the equity game because that can change. Uh, I need something that brings in some money, even if it's not great. Um, so Ex explain that really quick because there's listeners out there like that, you know, especially the traditional buyer doesn't understand that. Right. So like explain that really quick, why you don't play the equity game. What is the equity game and like why you don't play that? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of people who buy real estate and for rental purposes that play the equity game, because as we know, the market goes up every single year. Right. So you may buy a house for one hundred thousand dollars today. Next year it might be worth 120. The year after that it might be 140. It might be 150 to 160 thousand dollars in four or five years from now. That's what they're playing. That that's the equity, and they're saying, all right, well, if I buy it now at 100 thousand, I don't care if I don't make any money. I'm just going to sell in six years and make 60 thousand dollars. Well, it's all fine and dandy. One, you're going to hopefully 1031 exchange that into something, or else Uncle Sam's going to take a really big chunk of any uh, equity you make in the house. But the hard thing is, markets crash. I went through it in 2008. So, you know, with the rental properties, you know, if you're in it for the longer term and your cash flow, if the value of the property goes down, that's fine because you're still getting money that's coming in every single month with the cash flow. But if you don't have any money that's coming in and then the house value of the house goes down, maybe even less than what you bought it for. And now you maybe have you no know, one or two tenants that it's missing. And now you're bringing money to the table like a lot of us did on our rental properties during this COVID time. You know, now you're in a situation where you can't even sell the house unless you take a loss and you're bringing money to the table. So you want to have cash flow in case 
obviously we come into a world where tenants aren't paying again and you're not really protected depending where you are you know you could maybe if you have some positive cash flow if you have to come out of pocket it's definitely not as significant hopefully you can even break even worst case scenario um but you know you want to bring in some cash flow you need to be bringing in money the tax advantages are great but let's face it we want to make money every single month that's what we're in it for we're not in it to just play hey i got a bunch of houses look at me on facebook i am awesome but i'm not making any money and you know rentals are, are perfect science we have some rental properties i haven't made a cent in a year they do on paper but there's one thing wrong this thing wrong and i thought i fixed this when i burned the property i thought i did that and it really it's just human error on my part i didn't do it right so um but you know live and learn all right Another another question I want to ask is you we're talking about rentals right now, right? And at the beginning, at the very beginning, you talked about you came up and you came in up in humble beginnings and you lived in apartment to apartment. You you had landlord after landlord essentially. Now you are in the position to be that landlord, right? How has yeah. that changed you? Like I mean, how how has that changed your, I guess, your mentality and like it, it is the way that you not just view tenants, but maybe the way that um your interactions might be with them if you're not using a property. I'm assuming that maybe you're not using a property manager. I am using a property okay. manager and here's okay. why. Two things. One, I want to treat it like a business because it really <laughs> is a business for me. And secondly, I am, I'm a sucker. I'm a sap. They'll take advantage of me left and right. I have too much of a heart. I care for people. Um, and I don't want to be put in a situation where I'm taken advantage of. So I need to have that buffer. So it's, you know, I'm not put in those situations where, people are taking advantage of me. Sure. That being said, I know people in life struggle and we're willing to work with anybody to get them through. We have a bunch of tenants that, you know, have different payment plans to get through, especially during the last couple of years. You know, I just don't want to be in a situation where somebody's like, you know, the heck with you. I ain't paying you anything. There's nothing you could do about it. And I am going to stay here until the government makes me go away. I don't want to deal with those kind of people, but the people that have really fallen on hard times, which I've been, gone through most of my life i want to work with those people and i always work with those people as long as they show an effort to try um so you know and then the other thing is i just want to give them nice clean safe housing to live in it you know we, we deal with mostly c-class you know the condo we have is i guess a b-class a kind of a nice little ski villa um you know but you know it's it's affordable housing a lot of it's you know subsidized housing is kind of what we do i like to do that because you know again the government's paying me rather than the tenant um being on the tenant. Um, but I just want to give them safe, you know, places like we're rewiring a house right now where we just found out. And actually this tenant is not even paying us right now, but the she could be in jeopardy because the, the wiring could catch on fire. So we were spending thousands of dollars that I don't really have or want to, but it's the right thing to do. So, you know, stuff like that. And she actually ran out of heat this year. We had to actually go and fill her oil for her because she had no money. So we do things like that. Um, you know, again, I've been there done that i'm always willing to help people uh, but i don't want to be in a situation where they take advantage of me because they will i know myself so that's what a property manager is for and no, i'll tell definitely. you property managers are a little bit of a headache in themselves um yeah i wish uh, they're a lot like contracts he's got to babysit them as well right, you got to manage the ma manage the property manager i definitely understand that i got a couple of section yes. eight tenant, uh section eight tenants myself and um i definitely understand those struggles of um of dealing with the property managers and then also making sure that your house is up to code as well um, yep. with, with everything that's going on. Obviously you want your house to be up to code, you know, but, um, but yeah, um, along with that, like you, you mentioned, um, 
the tenant friendly states versus landlord friendly states, right? I don't, I'm not sure what New Hampshire is, but I know for sure New York is definitely a tenant friendly state, like like a tenant loving state, right? <laughs> so yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. You, meant, you mentioned those like the COVID-19. Um, I, luckily, I don't have anything in New York. Um, I mean, I'm mainly in Georgia. So uh, it's I would say it's more of a uh, landlord friendly states there. But um, how did you combat that? Because uh, I think New York, you guys didn't have to pay, like the tenants didn't have to pay for like a year or something, maybe even longer than that, if they didn't want, you know, two years. Wow. If uh, it was very easy as a tenant to kind of like screw around with the system, I'll put it that way. Right. And and obviously yeah. not all people do that. Everybody doesn't want to do that. But man, you'd be surprised. There are tenants out there that like to just, hey, if I, if I don't got to pay rent, OK, I'm not going to pay rent. How did you combat that? Yeah. So, you know, we didn't buy any properties in New York. That's how we combated that, you know. Um, but I know a lot of people that went through it in New York was very, very tough. And that's why I'm very, very, you know, there's been a lot of great opportunities to buy in New York in the last couple of years. But it's, it's just too risky. It's too scary. And, you know, there's a lot of people, unfortunately, a lot of bad apples who take advantage of that opportunity saying, I'm not paying. There's nothing you can do about it. I don't care what happens to me after this. I'm living here rent-free for the next two years. And really, the moratorium just ended in New York. A lot of these other states ended a long time ago. It literally just ended. They're starting to do evictions in New York now. You know, so it's been literally two years. And it's going to be another know, year for the court systems to even catch up, I bet. So Correct, correct. And, you know, a lot of people are like me that own real estate. There's not, you know, I mean, I know there's some hedge funds and some stuff like that. But a lot of it's just your small mom and pop. You know, somebody who's working in the military during the day and doing this to provide for his family at night and really depend on that money. And then you have these people who are basically taking advantage of them, thinking they're really sticking it to the man, but they're really sticking it to, you know, their friend in church or something like that. Right. And um, a lot of good people have been affected and had to weather the storm. Um, we've had our effects with it here in New Hampshire. New Hampshire was definitely much more um, landlord friendly. Uh, but, you know, there was a moratorium in place. You know, some people took advantage of it. You know, we actually bought a house um, and uh, from probate and we didn't turn it into a rental. We were supposed to flip it. It ended up taking us almost six months to evict the tenant, uh, the people that were living there. And they were just a bunch of druggies. Um, it just nothing was moving. And then, you know, Massachusetts is a little bit more uh, tenant friendly than landlord friendly. But, you know, it's definitely not as bad as New York. Um, so you, you have to be careful. And that's why we do Section 8 housing. You know, this again, I'm somewhat, somewhat of a newbie. I've only been in the rental game for about a year and a half. So I'm in a lot of it's been during this COVID time. So <laughs> I'm learning a lot of things right off the get go. Um, but, you know, section housing feels more comfortable for me for a lot of these because I want to be protected that if anything like this ever happens again, and it very well likely could if the, you know, the economy collapses in the next few years or whatever, uh, the, the bubble pops if it does. Uh, I want to be in a situation where the government leases paying a majority of their rent rather than losing it all. But, you know, we, we don't do that with us. You know, we have this condo that I told you about. Um, we have just a nice young couple living in it. So it really just kind of depends on the property and things of that nature. Uh, I typically don't like single families, but, you know, it's getting to a point where I can't find anything decent in New Hampshire to turn into rentals. Yeah. And I got a really good deal on this one. So I had to do it. So definitely. So what, what's uh, what's next for you? What's next for uh, Jeremy B. Land? You and the family. So, 
Yeah, you know, so my wife is getting ready to run her third 100-mile ultra marathon out in Leadville, Colorado this summer. She's an ultra runner, and she is one badass mama, I can tell you that much. So she does that, and uh, her and I, you know, we, we, we're just taking care of our kids and living life, and, you know, we have a lot of freedom of time these days, thanks to the businesses and the hard work we've put in, um, and we try to use that time wisely. We don't take a lot of the uh, financial rewards we got from the business and do extravagant things, but we do use it to spend a lot of time together with our family. And, you know, there's nothing more valuable than time. And, you know, and for us, what's wealth without health, right? So we spend a lot of time and effort on our health. So we're just trying to live gracefully and take care of ourselves as we get age and get, you know, stay healthy. But I'm really, you know, I'm focusing on our two markets right now. I'm just trying to make them the biggest, baddest home buy uh, companies in both of those markets. And uh, I'm all in as the CEO and just hyper-focused on growing them and building my team up and making them as profitable as possible and, and really taking care of, we have great team members. I'm really, we say, you know, I say, you know, we're taking the elevator, the penthouse together. I'm trying to make sure that my acquisition team and my disposition team members are in a position where they can invest in real estate because a lot of them are entrepreneurs. We call them solopreneurs within our company. They don't have to worry about the risk, but we give them all the opportunity to invest in themselves and succeed and, and fill those entrepreneurial goals that they have. So, you know, we, we partner up, we're partnering up with our acquisition guy for those two properties up in New York. We've done that with a five family here locally in New Hampshire. We'll continue to do that. I want to invest in my team. I want to invest in my companies and we're going to just keep investing in each other and grow and grow and grow. And that's the goal. That's what we're focused on. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it, man. So wrapping up here, um, I want you to uh, see so you've lived, you've pretty much done, done everything. You came from the bottom, you worked in the trenches, man. You built yourself up. You went through the recession, <laughs> went through yeah. the recession, joined the military, had a, had a stint there, got yourself, you know, together, bet it all, you know, well, you, you didn't just bet it all. You, well, you kind of did bet it all a little bit. You know, everything into, I had. Yeah. Pretty yeah. much going into, going into wholesaling, and working two jobs at the same time. Right. And now, you, now you've met, you know, that level of success that you, that you've been dreaming about. Right. So I want you to, I, I guess, give a message to those out there that are listening. I think a lot of us are in the same position, like, Hey, we got a family. We may have been through the trenches a little bit, but we're trying to figure out that next step. How do we get to that next step? Um, especially with our family in mind, right? Can, can you talk to uh, anyone out there listening that might be, you know, kind of trying to figure out what to do? Yeah. So there's a few things I would like to say, um, you know, everybody's situation is different and a lot of people are going to give you advice. You know, I was told early on that I should have quit my job and I should have just been all in on the business. You know, if I did that, I probably would have had some more success earlier on with my business. I probably would have succeeded sooner. But I just was too nervous to make that jump because, you know, there was too many ups and downs. And I didn't want to be in a situation of having a third time where I was going through any kind of, you know, financial strain and putting my kids through it for a second time. So everybody's situation is a little bit different. Um, but some of the stuff that I would say, so if you're really looking to get into real estate investing, you got to find one thing, one niche. For me, that was wholesaling. And I was 100% on wholesaling for almost two years before I did anything else. I literally didn't even listen to another podcast unless it was a wholesaling podcast for two years. I was hyper-focused and you have to be. And I continued to just grow and get better. And then eventually I started to do some flipping. And then, you know, the 
gone into rentals, right? So I just wanted to get good at really good at one thing before I added a second thing. Because if you start to try to do everything, you're not going to be good at anything. So I would just really focus on one niche. It could be rentals, could be flipping, could be wholesaling, whatever it is. Just make sure you're 100% all in on that. Get really good at that before you do anything else. Another thing is analysis paralysis can be your worst enemy in this business. There's nothing is ever going to be perfect. It just isn't realistic. I just told everybody earlier in this podcast that I own $2 million businesses. I was still thinking that I was going to have dust bunnies last year, even though we were going to be doing a million dollars because that's what happens in business. All businesses, I don't care if it's a restaurant or a retail store, they all ebb and flow and they have their struggles. So you have to just say, I'm going to be okay, even if it's not perfect. I bought my first four family rental property, not even knowing if it was going to work, but I said, I'm going to do it anyway. And I don't care if it feels because I have to go through the experience because I want to learn. I want to know. And you have to be know, go into it knowing that you're going to feel a ton. But if you survive, you will thrive. You just have to persevere, keep moving forward, keep getting better, and it will work. So that's what I would say with that. And, you know, three things I always say in this business you need to be doing, and that's one, you always need to be learning. You have to be hyper-focused on learning. I spend a lot of money on education in this business, not just reading books, but paying people who know a lot more than me about this business and my other businesses to teach me. So save me a lot more money than I would lose if I didn't pay them. Um, two, um, always be marketing. Market yourself, market your business. You got to be putting yourself out there. If you don't market yourself, nobody's going to know what you're doing. And three, the most important thing is you always have to take action. Again, analysis paralysis can be a detriment to a lot of people. I am almost the opposite to a fault. I will go in 100 miles an hour. I won't even care what the, you know, the numbers say or anything like that. But um, don't be that reckless either. But uh, you got to take action in this business. You, you just take imperfect action. Feel forward. It's totally okay. You'll make it. It's just like anything else in life, man. You have your ups and downs. You just battle your way through and you'll be okay. Exactly, man. Imperfect action and failing forward, dude. Keywords, man. I love it. Um, yeah. So how can our how can our listeners get in contact with you? Glad you asked that, man. I'd love them to connect with us on Facebook or uh, any social media. Couples Flipping Houses. That's at Couples Flipping Houses. The best way to reach us. That's me and my wife's brand. We like to connect with a lot of different people. Uh, we are actually giving away a free ebook on how to wholesale your first deal with little to no money out of pocket. We give you a step-by-step -step instructions on how to do that. So if you're interested in wholesaling, re uh, reach out to us on uh, Couples Flipping Houses. Give us your email. We'll send that to you for free. We also JV a lot in our markets. We JV a ton with newbie and beginning wholesalers. Um, we make them a lot of money because we've built this massive cash buying list on our back end and we will mentor you and teach you stuff. We don't coach, but we will mentor you, help you get your deals and you can do a bunch of deals and JV with us and get out of the rat race a lot sooner than you can. But uh, yeah, couples flipping houses is the way to go, man. You can reach us there. We're, we're, we're always providing a lot of good value there. Excellent. We'll share that link down below uh, or you'll see the tag down below there. Couple slipping houses. Make sure to go check that out. Um, if you want that free ebook, then definitely go ahead and sign up for that. I mean, that's that's money right there. That's we talked about the education piece and always be learning was one of your three, you know, top three things to do. That's an easy way to start. Right. So, uh, hey, man, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story and really kind of uh letting us know the background, man, like letting us know those real life struggles along with the wins, you know, the wins with the losses. I think that's important. Um, so uh, thanks so much for coming on. You got any uh, last words, any final words? 
No, I just, you know, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be on your podcast. I thank you very much. You know, I just want to encourage people to get out there and try, you know, if, if you know, there are people always say like, you know, trust me, if I could do it, anybody could do it. But there's a lot of truth behind that. You know, be careful what you see on social media. A lot of people glamorize things. It's not that easy, but it's really not that hard either. But just please go ahead and just try. Just try. You'd be surprised if you try how much you can change your life in just a few years. Believe me, I'm an example. I did not graduate high school. I'm not, you know, I'm not dumb, but I'm not a very educated, smart guy. I'm just your average guy. But I just kept failing forward and it worked. So I just hope those people listening that are on the fence will um, take some action and just go do it and just hopefully change their lives and their family's lives forever. That'd be awesome. I'd love to hear about that. Love it, man. Love it. Thanks again for coming on the show. And with that, this is Dan Wynn signing off.